not easy. Regulation is not easy for anyone, you know, but the, the world is moving in this direction. We're seeing more and more regulation, not just in our, in our industry, you know, in, in many industries, you know, so I guess it is the way of the future. Welcome to the second episode of Fennec and Fennec Advocates podcast series. My name is Romina Camilleri. I am the Compliance Officer within Fenlex, a company associated with Fennec and Fennec, and I will be your host for today. For this episode, we are sitting down with Carl Diacono, CEO of the Fenlex Group, to introduce Fenlex and the challenges being faced in today's world of compliance. Hi, Carl. Thank you for joining us. Shall you start off with a brief introduction on Fenlex? Thanks, Romina. Thank you for hosting this podcast. Um, yeah, give me, I'll, I'll say a few lines about Fenlex and, and its, its brief history. Fenlex was set up in the late 1980s, the advent of Mortaras and offshore services centers, or the law firm's clients, demanding a number of services that, whilst the law firm offered, taught it would be better to offer through, through um, a corporate entity. And that is how we, we came about to be where we are today. Um, in the late 80s, it was a very small organization with one and a half people. Over the years, um, fast forward to 2021, here we are, 76 people in a group of companies servicing well over 850 clients. So it's been quite quite a growth in a relatively short short period of time. That is where, where we stand today. And, you know, we had to look at the 30 years. It's a completely changed business. And, you know, it should bring us on to the subject that we're going to discuss today. Why has it changed? It's changed because the world has changed, because compliance has become um, extremely central to our business, and we had to change together with the demands being put on to us by, by regulators. If you had to be asked what the main challenges to our industry are, what would you say? As I mentioned earlier, and what we'll be discussing today, the biggest challenge faced today by the industry is compliance. And one, we have to put that into a perspective. And I think to do that, we need to give a little bit of, of history here, and I'll try and do that briefly. Compliance is not something new. In fact, the EU back in 1991 issued its first directive related to money laundering. And the first directive was focused on issues faced at the time, which was attacking uh, crime, mostly centered around uh, drug-related money laundering. Take a break of 10 years and um, driven by events happening in the world at the time, which was the September 11th attack, the EU came out with its second AML directive, here also to focus on issues at the issues being faced by, by the world at the time. And that was, you know, the advent of, of terrorism. It was followed soon after with, with a new directive, because obviously post-2000, uh, post the 2001 attack, you know, the, the um, EU had looked in detail at the issues being faced and also to address new threats. There was a UK attack as well that happened between 2001 and 2005. And to address those issues, they came out with the third AML directive, therefore specifically in response to, to issues at the time and the introduction of simplified due diligence and enhanced due diligence being perhaps the main focus of the AML directive. Again, another break of 10 years, which was quite a break, and the fourth directive came out. Between the, between the uh, third directive and the fourth directive, we had a crisis in the world, and therefore probably focus was, was elsewhere for, for regulators. But in 2015, we had the fourth AML directive, which was tackling new risks. 
the 40 ml directive came around, which was there to address new new risks. In the 40 ml directive, we saw um, the inter- introduction of the risk-based approach, the um, establishment of the UBO register, as well as enhanced due diligence focusing on, on PEPs. Soon after, in 2018, we had another two directives come to light. There was AML5 and AML6, again, addressing current issues at the time. Um, and now we are where we are today with, with a waft of regulation and, and directives to follow. Carl, um, with regards to these uh, regulations, what did these mean to Fenlex and how did Fenlex cope with regards to the changes? Good question. Also, because there was a lot of work that needed to be done to, to address these challenges. And probably the, the biggest challenge was the fourth AML directive, where we had to shift our way of thinking you know, to a risk-based approach. It was relatively new to everyone. And it wasn't only new. It also came at a time when the business was growing. And the amount of data we had to process was you know, um, becoming difficult to, to handle manually. So I, I recall clearly I had a meeting with the software supplier we had at the time who was providing us with a CRM. And we sat down and discussed what tools we can use to facilitate our, our job in terms of collecting data, processing data, as well as doing what we had to do, risk score all of our clients. And that is how um, a tool came about, which is available on the market today called KYCP, that allows us to, to do all of this using this, this software tool. It was, you know, a long um, project because it required us, you know, A, to understand what, what, what is um, asked of us, B, to document it, and C, for, for the, the supplier to, to uh, develop the, the solution. But I'm glad to say that today um, that solution is here fully implemented. It's further developed. We've taken over uh, control of the situation in the sense that it allows us to um, in-house further develop uh, the tool to cater for any changes that, 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 that come along. And as we know, since uh, the fourth AML directive, there have been many, and we're managing to cater for all of these uh, in-house today. Software on its own, though, does not provide a total solution. What other action has Fenlex taken to ensure it fully addresses the risks it needs to manage? Rightly so. Um, in fact, probably more important than software is the people who use the software. What we did in, in 2016 was um, engage a person uh, to help us transition from AML3 to AML4 and beyond. And that person had quite a task. She had to you know, look at our processes, redraft them, and ensure that they become fully compliant with, with the new directive. And at the same time, also partake or participate in the, um, the project to, to get our, our software solutions uh, finalized. So it was a, a parallel process. There was obviously a lot of human intervention and there was the technology required to to ensure that we have a total solution. What we did further uh, beyond that is then as the business grew as well and the requirements grew is employ more people. So whereas in the past we were two people managing compliance, today we have a team of up to 10 people. So that is quite quite a big change. And again, one of the biggest challenges is A, finding people because it's not easy to find people within within the sector. B, ensuring that they are continuously trained because the amount of change there is, which is constant, um, requires them to, to be kept up to date. 
And you know, thirdly, ensure that they, they stay with us. And we're happy to say that we have a team of, of, of people with us who are very happy to be with us and who have been with us for, for some time. And you know, we're always looking for good people. So if anyone listening to this wants to join the exciting world of compliance, I'd be more than happy to, to hear from them as well. So Phoenix has gained a lot of experience over the years. What now? You're right. You know, it's been a tough few years. Um, and as you rightly said, and you know, because you're part of, of, of the solution that, that we've managed to, to put together to, to manage, to cater for the challenges we have. What next is putting that experience into a new service line. Um, we know that there are a lot of people facing similar challenges that we have. We know that they're looking for solutions. So what we're looking at is as you rightly said, put together that experience that we've gained over the years and make it available to, to other people with, within the sector. You know, mostly CSPs out there who, who we know are, are facing these challenges. And is it just for CSPs? No. Um, the directive um, defines um, what subject persons are. And subject persons are more than just CSPs. In fact, there are quite a few people who are caught within within the regulation, the AML regulation. So it is besides CSPs, you have financial institutions, you have things like, uh, or people like real estate agents, you have um, antique dealers, you have people dealing in, in fine art and jewelry. Um, so the solutions that we have put in place can cater for anyone who has an obligation under the, the AML directives and the implementation procedures as drafted by the Financial Intelligence Analysis Unit uh, in, in Malta. Recently, the Malta Financial Services Authority issued new rules for service providers. Could you give us some more information about that? Yes, indeed. In 2021, the MFSA, as you said, the Malta Financial Services Authority, issued the CSP rulebook. Um, the purpose of the rulebook is to give clear guidelines and, and regulate the, the, the industry. Why did the MFSA feel it needed to do it? And, and rightly so, because I, I remember uh, five years ago we had um, a, a uh, seminar at the Motor Chamber of Commerce, and I remember advocating the, the regulation of CSPs, you know, and, and you know, here we are today with, with a completely new rule book. It needed to be done because ADNRA, National Risk Assessment, has indicated that CSPs are a high risk for, for uh, the country. And it is a financial service. Um, it is a point of entry. We are gatekeepers, and it is important that, that as gatekeepers, we are given clear guidelines and, and, and rules to follow. The amount of people providing the service in Malta has, has mushroomed. I believe at one stage there were 300 plus people providing uh, corporate service providers. It has g given a level playing field to everyone with, uh, within the industry, and it you know, while it presents challenges, because I know it has presented challenges to a number of operators, small operators are, are going to find it difficult because there's a lot they need to comply with. But it does create clarity to people within the industry as to what is expected of them, what um, systems they need to put in place, what training they need to give to their staff, reporting that they need to give, they need to, give to the regulator. Um, and it, it um, allows if you, the country to ensure that this industry is properly monitored. Yes, but has it been an easy transition? No. And I don't think it was intended to make things easy. I don't think regulators are there to make people's lives easy. It has not been easy at all. It's taken a lot of time and effort. I think we're lucky we were in a good place as an organization because we have you know, been preparing this for, for a number of years. 
But, you know, there, there have been and there will be casualties, uh, you know, along the way. In fact, probably one of the hardest hit is people who used to offer directorship services, for example, or as been before, you know, they, they, they offer directorship services quite freely today. Offering a directorship has become uh, a regulated service as well. There are some exemptions, uh, of course, but I know a number of people who used to do and offer this service and were extremely talented people, but they decided to sort of pull out because they don't have the time or the energy to, to comply with what's in the rule book. So, you know, there have been some casualties uh, along the way. I also know some small CSPs who have also decided to, to surrender their license. Um, you know, um, not easy. Regulation is not easy for anyone, you know, but the, the world is moving in this direction. We're seeing more and more regulation, not just in our, in our industry, you know, in, in, in many industries. You know, so I guess it is the way of the future, you know, regulating industries that, that, that's required to be, to be regulated and so be it. Besides regulatory changes, what other challenges is the industry facing? I paused intentionally because, you know, one needs to be careful how one answers here, but obviously there's a lot going on at the moment. The country is where it is today in terms of we all know that Malta has been grey-listed which presents, you know, quite a big challenge. We need to get out of the grey list as soon as possible. A lot of effort is being done to ensure that we get there. I know the private sector is doing its bit. I sit on on the AML committee of the AFSP. I know it's something we discuss and, and you know, we do we do our bit in the little we can do because obviously it is it is the authorities that need to negotiate our way out of this. The FAU has recently declared that they think they're in a good position and they've, they've done a lot of work over the past few months. You know, hopefully within, within 18 months, we, we, we'll get off it. It's, it's really up, up to us. We can't point fingers at anyone if, if we don't, but it's critical that we do. You know, besides the listing challenge, um, obviously there are other challenges that we're facing on a day-to-day -day basis. One is talent. You know, if you ask anybody in a large number of industries that, you know, is there talent available to employ? I think everyone has the same answer. No. You know, be it a restaurant trying to employ waiters, be it banks trying to employ or us trying to employ compliance people, corporate administrators or lawyers trying to find um, people to fill up their 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 um, requirements. So um, that's another challenge we face. And it, it's it's a little bit of concern because if you look at recent surveys where the vast majority of youth said, you know, and I think the number was 70% that, that they want to leave the island. If you look at statistics from university where there was a drop in of 5% in, in graduates, you know, so the trend seems to be either people leaving or, or people dropping out of university. It's something we need to address, address urgently. All stakeholders need to partake in that, you know, but if this country wants to grow, you know, you need people to grow it because we are in the people industry. And unless we find good people, we're going to have serious issues. So I think there are a number. Those are the two main challenges, I would think, people and obviously reputation, you know. But I'm an optimist by, by nature. And I think that if we work together, we'll, we'll be able to solve these issues in hopefully the short term. Thank you, Kyle, for your insight. My pleasure, Amina. And thank you for having me. It was a very high overview of a very complex subject that I hope we'll be able to go into a little bit more detail in, in another podcast like this. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us. Do watch out for our next episode in this series of podcasts. Till then, goodbye.